0: Hello and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr and we're coming to you from Film Scene in downtown Iowa City. Thank you for joining us here in the room and if you happen to be listening or watching the video. In this program called Taking It to the Streets Engagement and the Academy, we'll get first person perspectives on how active engagement between academics and communities they work with not only enhances the teaching, research, and creative work of the academics, but can offer a demonstrable, real world World solutions to vexing community challenges. My guests in the first segment, uh, called Modeling Engagement for a New Generation, are two people who've been intimately involved in academic public engagement efforts at the University of Iowa for the past ten years. Teresa Mangum is the director of the University of Iowa Obermann Center for Advanced Studies and also a professor in Gender, Women's, and Sexuality Studies. Thank you, Teresa, for being here. Thank you for the invitation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next to her is Jennifer New, the assistant director of the University of Iowa Obermann Center for Advanced Studies. Thank Hi, you Jill. Jennifer. Hi. So to set the stage a little bit for the audience, this is the 10th anniversary of the Obermann Graduate Institute on Engagement and the Academy, an effort that Teresa and Jennifer have worked on for these 10 years. And I think I'd like to start with you, Teresa, and ask you to give us just a general definition of how you see engagement. Um, well,
1: thank you mm-hmm. for the invitation to be here. We're really excited about this week of the 10th anniversary. So I got very interested in the idea of engagement in part because of our Center for Teaching, where um, Jean Florman organized a wonderful workshop one summer on service learning, one philosophy of in- experiential community-based learning, and where I met some of the people in this audience. And... Um, one of the, it, it was a really wonderful experience because we had to come in with a syllabus the way we would normally teach and then develop um, an engaged way to teach, getting our students out in the community. And I always tell this story, but I, I worked all week on my syllabus and I thought, okay, we're going to, it was a course on literature and animals and I'm going to go to the, to the um, animal shelter and my students will do you know, work with the animals and the staff, and then we'll read literature. And I always laugh that I went in to meet with the then wonderful director, they have another fabulous director now, with my tidy little syllabus and all my plans, like I would always prepare for a, for a semester. And Misha Goodman very gently and politely started asking me questions about r- what we were going to read and the activities I had in mind. And within 10 minutes, I realized Misha knew more than I will ever know about literature about animals. And this was my big lesson in engagement, that whereas outreach, which is sometimes perfectly appropriate, involves my having expertise that I share with the community, what's really different for me about engagement is community partners are experts in their applied and often theoretical ways. And... Engagement is about meeting and reciprocally sharing that expertise. And it transforms both side, people from both sides, the mm-hmm. university and the, uh, the community.
0: So it's interesting. You explained the, the work the Center for Teaching had been doing with experiential learning. But, but what has this turned into now in the Graduate Institute? It's a week-long uh, activity at the beginning of the second semester, I think usually anyway. Mm-hmm. And uh, you have faculty leaders and you have graduate students who are participating,
2: and they do what? Um, So, yeah, it's a very, very full week um, that is the week in January just before um, second semester classes start, and there are 18 students who are competitively selected, um, sometimes from a pool as large as 60. They can come from anywhere in the university, any college, any program, any discipline. And um, during, they, they come in in their application with a proposal for a project. And some of these folks are actually already underway with these projects. Some of them, it is like a glimmer in their eye of something that they might do. And um, we don't have an expectation that by the end of the week, that's going to be totally ready to go. But this will be a thought process throughout the week, something for them to throw new ideas, new theories up against and, and fine tune it. So so during that week, they're hearing from panels of faculty, um, folks on campus who are already doing this work, other graduate students who are are doing this kind of work. Um, We're going on a site visit and meeting with um, community partners. Um, We actually come here to film scene, and we see a documentary that does a great job of um, showing a public engagement project and really all of its pitfalls and pleasures and successes along the way. Um, And I think a a really big thing that that week is about is that these students find each other. So because they are coming from such disparate disciplines and parts of the university, this is a very rare opportunity for a dancer and um, a dental student to sit side by side and realize that they have a lot in common and to sort of find their people, so to speak. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, that maybe leads us back into something I should have perhaps started with, which Mm -hmm. is the Obermann Center, and the fact that it's a very multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary, collaborative sort of space on campus. What's the value of that kind of space on a campus like ours?
1: Um, Well, starting with Jay Simmel, the former director who's here, uh, who set just such a great um, stage for the Obermann Center and campus. I, I think more and more our graduate students, our faculty members or at least certain kinds of thinkers among us, find that they, they have their most exciting ideas it, with a little friction when they encounter people who think differently. And we gather around the table in the Obermann Center Library and you know, around some topic and an engineer like Craig jumps in and says, well now we would address this as a problem solving issue And then an English professor says, well, you know, have you read this novel where uh, someone imagined a world in which that happened? And these were possibilities that were explored. And suddenly, and a political scientist comments on the way this has happened in society, you know, the impact of this particular problem on on society and the way politicians are taking uh, or shaping the problem. And suddenly we all think so much bigger. And even when you go back to your home department, when somebody has made you think about what are your assumptions, that you came in the room assuming everybody agreed this was a truth, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you find that your own ideas are not only bigger, but they're a lot clearer to you, and your assumptions are a lot clearer to you. Mm -hmm. And I just want to take a moment while I'm saying that, while I'm talking about the Oberman Center, to say that when we started the Institute 10 years ago, part of the reason it worked is because Jay Simmel, the former director of the Oberman Center, and John Keller, our graduate dean, um, were people who were open to really new, somewhat crazy ideas. <laughs> and the Obermann Center is really great at turning crazy ideas into brilliant realities. Really, But I'm so grateful to them for their... Willingness to let us experiment with this with our grad students.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the the grad student impact here. So you have the students who go through some kind of competitive process to mm-hmm. be considered for the institute. Um, could you sort of give us an idea of what this year's institute was like, or a given year's institute with the mix of students and the kinds of projects that were discussed?
2: Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's always it's fun because each year sort of is different than the last partly because we have um, two faculty co-directors and those folks change so one is sort of the senior co-director who's done it the year before and the other is the incoming co-director and so they're coming from different areas themselves and so they're bringing those um, whatever their perspective and experiences are to the table Um, and and then you've got this whole new group of students um, I was, th- this is actually kind of referring back to your last question about inter- the value of the interdisciplinary, you know, kind of meeting space. And so um, I thought of one great example from this year, and, and I, I must admit that I don't know if this potential partnership has moved forward. But there was a student in uh, dance, and then we had a student in, um, uh, he, was, he was in medicine. I'm sorry, I'm looking at Craig, and I'm like... <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so he was, he's very interested in cancer research. And she was interested in using dance as a form to tell stories of major life events that, you know, kind of crack you open, change how you think, change how you are. And it turns out her mother has stage four cancer. And so during the week, and he at one point, said, he is not an artist, he can't conceive of any way he is an artist, he, d- he doesn't understand what the arts could have to do with what he does. Mm-hmm. And But as the week went on, they kind of moved closer and closer toward seeing how each other's you know, possible projects and interests had some potential overlap, and started talking about the idea of doing a workshop together where she was using movement and dance and he was using his expertise in, in cancer research. And so that's an example of something that, again, I don't know where they are with talking about that right now, but could I could see very possibly coming to, to fruition.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, One of the guests we had hoped to have with us tonight was Ken Brown from the School of Business, but he became ill and couldn't join us today. But he uh, sent a quote in one of our early conversations, which i just like to read. He said, In my mind, I always imagined... Oh, and I should preface this by saying that he was one of your faculty leaders. Mm -hmm. Uh, In my mind, I always imagined what an ideal university would be like. And there are many times when our work doesn't seem to quite get there. Too much focus on singular ideas, getting through material, and meetings. But working across disciplinary boundaries to design and deliver the institute and being challenged by passionate and brilliant students during that week, that was the closest I've ever felt to doing the thought-provoking, life-changing work that I imagine is the best of what universities can be. So is this a common feeling among the faculty who've worked with this institute, you think? I think it's why
1: faculty members have been willing to put in a year of planning time with Jennifer's incredible creative assistance, um, why they're willing to spend the first week before school Mm -hmm. starts Mm -hmm. devoting 24-7 to working with these graduate students. It's it's just to be with an inspiring colleague and... Jennifer, and 15 to 18 graduate students who really are going to change the world. And you're just sort of giving them a nudge in creative directions. Mm-hmm. It's it's unbelievably wonderful.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, so let's go back to the community partner side of things for a little while. Maybe you could talk a bit. You mentioned the animal shelter um, uh, contact you'd had very early, early on in your own work. Um, could you give us some examples of other community partners or projects where um, uh, something here that's very local and and what many people would think of as just a community project, the university is there, the community is here, um, this is a way to bring minds together to, to mm-hmm. assist both the research someone's doing and also a community issue, a community question. Could you give any examples? Well, um
1: I'm thinking of a few early examples. Um, Jonathan Ratner was a film student and Jack Johnson was another film student uh, a number of years ago. Uh, They're both faculty members elsewhere now happily. Um, But they had begun to work with the Senior Center and some early efforts the Senior Center made at creating their own video program. And by bringing in graduate students from the film program They helped the Senior Center develop an incredibly active television program, um, a a number of different experiments. For example, having uh, a a member of the Senior Center interview an international student just learning English at the high school. Mm -hmm. Incredible friendships formed out of that. And I think it really transformed the way the film graduate students understood who filmmakers could be in a world, knitting people together. Mm-hmm. That was one fairly simple example. That Ten years later, nine years later, they're still collaborating mm-hmm. from across the United States.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I'm thinking of, uh, so this Thursday and Friday, we'll be having a two-day symposium, and um, quite a few of our former fellows will be presenting there. Uh, so one example is um, Mike Overholt who is a PhD candidate in classics and he's developed um, a program working with elementary school students and a, a local school counselor here in Iowa City to use um, class the classics as a way to teach about citizenship and uh, so he, he wrote the curriculum and has these great cartoons that go along with it and Um, and works at that elementary school, I think, um, for part of every year. Um, Jeanette Gabriel is working via the Iowa Women's Archives to record um, the stories of disappearing um, Jewish communities, Mm -hmm. um, and I think has a strong presence, for example, in Cedar Rapids with that project. Mm -hmm. So those are a few other examples. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, So I can definitely see how this would be great for the students, great for the faculty, uh, that sort of um, personal investment in something that you feel is emotionally valuable and also adds to the research you're doing. I'm wondering how public engagement is received as a part of... Um, the assessment of a graduate student who is who goes on to be a young faculty member, who continues to devote uh, a lot of time to public engagement. Is that work recognized for tenure and for other kinds of um, advancement within uh, an academic institution?
1: I think we're in one of those interesting moments around a lot of new experimental forms. I also am involved with the digital humanities on campus and it's kind of analogous with public engagement. So yeah. As with any new form of work or expression of work, it's, I think of it as uneven development. Mm-hmm. And so you have to have the risk takers who experiment and they move the conversation forward. Then there'll be some resistance. And then a few years later, what was unheard of is suddenly the norm. And to give one really concrete example... Um, One of our early graduate students was getting a master's in both public health and health communications. Mm -hmm. And so she had designed a a traditional kind of project. There's a, a lot of colon cancer in Storm Lake, and she was researching the incidence of colon cancer, and she was planning to do a very statistical study. And after the institute, she decided, well, you know, I should be in conversation with the people who are experiencing the cancer and the incidence of cancer. And she contacted the mayor, and he said, sure, we'd love to talk to you. She got to Storm Lake. 200 people were waiting for her in the hospital auditorium. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: They were so concerned about the health of their city, but so grateful that a researcher wanted to hear their stories. They ended up working together to develop a project that fulfilled all the expectations for a dissertation, but also produced a map where people in Storm Lake could, could record the stories and their personal knowledge of who had had cancer and how it had impacted the community. The result was that Kristen got one of the largest national and institutes of health research funds for the dissertation, and ultimately a prize for the dissertation. And and the community ended up with a lot of new literature, health advice kind of literature, and documentation of their health history. And that, to me, is an example of the the work that she did with that community was not only a public service to them, but it made the research better. Mm-hmm. It really deepened the knowledge. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Best examples of publicly engaged arts research and scholarship really do. And the more ev- examples we have of that, mm-hmm. that really deepening impact on knowledge, on the creation of new ideas and understanding, the more we'll be able to convince mm-hmm. colleges and universities mm-hmm. this should count.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then I imagine there are a number of the students who, who go through the institute who, who get their uh, higher degrees and so on, don't necessarily work in an academic institution. Mm-hmm. They may head up museums or do whatever. Mm-hmm. Is, is there any particular person you might mention, Jennifer, who's, who's gone into a field that is not strictly within um, you know academia, but, but um, where this is still an important part of the work they do?
2: Uh, One person who's coming to mind is currently working within uh, the Smithsonian for um, a group called the Future of the Museum Hmm. and uh, sort of exploring, pushing boundaries within museum work, and she's a history graduate, so that's one exciting. Another example. example, and another example.
1: Who will, another person who'll be back um, for the events on Thursday and Friday? Uh, Craig mm-hmm. Ely mm-hmm. Uh, got a degree in American Studies, and then he got a po- there are now these wonderful postdocs, mm-hmm. uh, postdoctoral fellowships in public engagement uh, for PhDs, and he's now working for Wisconsin Public Radio, and I
0: suspect that's
1: what he would love to do.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm yeah in the long term terrific so so what's the future of the institute i take it you uh, do you see changes coming in terms of the way you you <laughs> handle it will there be more than one a year or do you think you've got a pretty good model right now and that's that's what you're going to stick with
2: I think we have an excellent model for the resources we have. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if we had more resources, I think Mm -hmm. Teresa and I can think of all sorts of ways (laughs) to grow the institute, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. including the possibility of um, the students who go through the institute being able to get funding to then work in a more concrete, longer-term way with a public partner Mm -hmm. um, is, is one thing that we'd love to see happen. Um, to have more funding available for these students to take some of these project ideas and actually bring them to life with with actual backing. Mm -hmm. So those are some ideas. But again, Mm -hmm. for for what we have, I think we've got it dialed in pretty well at the moment. And we've
1: also talked about it again. It would be about resources. um, But we've also talked about offering a national version Mm -hmm. so that we would want to do this for our students. But could we also do this and, and open the application process to graduate students around the country? Mm-hmm. Um, one year, the Center for Teacher Teaching invited um, me and Dave Redlosk, who's the political scientist who worked with us in the beginning, to have a similar workshop for faculty on campus. Mm-hmm. And so about 15 faculty members Basically, went to a graduate institute on Engagement and Academy, mm-hmm. and those, a number of the people from that workshop, we're all still working together now, eight years later, on all sorts mm-hmm. of projects. So we, you know, we want to keep our own graduate students front and center in our plans, but, yeah, we could find lots of ways to mm-hmm. experiment.
0: <laughs> wow, well, congratulations on this, and I understand that the public is invited to the events on Thursday so. and Friday. Very much so, absolutely. Yes. Good, yeah. yes. Wonderful. So Jennifer mm-hmm. New and Teresa Mangum, thank you so much for being with us in this first uh, segment of today's World Canvas. All World Canvas programming is available on YouTube, iTunes, UITV, and the International Program's website, which is international.uiowa.edu. And if you want to learn more about our venue, film scene, go to icfilmscene.org. Please uh, join us for the second segment in this program, where we'll be talking about an engagement project called History Core. Uh, I'm Joan Kerr, and for University of of Iowa International Programs. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr, and we're coming to you from film scene in downtown Iowa City. This is part two of a three-part series called Taking It to the Streets, the uh, Engagement and the Academy. In this series, we're exploring ways in which those engaged in teaching, research, and creative work on the university campus are joining forces with community partners to tackle important issues and produce positive outcomes for communities and individuals. There's a difference between public engagement and outreach, in that this isn't the academic institution bestowing all of its wisdom on an uninvolved public, but rather the public and the academics working together mm-hmm. to develop a further understanding of the issue, as well as potential solutions. I'm excited to introduce our next two guests who are involved in an innovative engagement initiative called History Core, and they are Jackie Rand, just next to me. She's an associate professor in the University of Iowa Department of History. Thanks mm. for being here, Jackie. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having Mm -hmm. me. And Heather Waka is at the uh, far end. She's a graduate student in the University of Iowa Department of History. And as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about History Corps. And I know that your mission statement says, through the art of storytelling and open conversations, History Corps is a listening program that demonstrates the value of humanities in our everyday lives. You promote dialogue between the University of Iowa community and the state of Iowa. So tell us about this listening and engagement uh, project, History Corps.
4: Okay, well, History Core is a graduate student led project. Um, It's a group of graduate students with me as faculty advisor who engage in projects that are based very much on the core principles of uh, public engagement, public history, primary research, um, collaboration, and partnership, and um, and then uh, including a heavy emphasis on oral history. Um, the outcome is a variety of projects individual projects and then we have a core group project Mm -hmm. Um, and carrying out this work um, these students uh, I think break down the the silo effect of the Academy Um, they make um, a a space in which the Academy meets the public and um, produces a different kind of knowledge Mm and so it's a, it's a very different kind of uh, it's a very different kind of a of a of a project that we have going on. It's unique to the history department.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, right. Well, so Heather, I, I know, of course, that as a graduate student, you're involved in this uh, project. Uh, yes. Tell me a little bit about how you got <coughs> involved in it and what what the role is of any individual graduate student who's part of History Corps.
3: Um, I got involved because. I was hearing about other people being involved in our department, and I thought, this is excellent. And I kept hearing how History Corps offered graduate students a possibility to learn new digital skills, meet new people, engage in new activities, like Jackie says, get out of that silo effect. And I was really interested. But at the time, it was kind of funny, because at the time, it was filled with 20th century Americanists. And I was, I'm i a medievalist. And I'm like, there's no way that a medievalist <laughs> has any business being in a public engagement organization. And then I started thinking to myself, wait a minute, I can do this. And I asked the people who were involved, the graduate students, and they said, sure, that's, that'd be great. And so I uh, got involved with History Corps. And... Um, The other graduate students that are, what we do as graduate students is we sort of have a double task in the sense that we are committed to the organization and the group and the group project, and yet we've also got some leeway, which I think is utterly fantastic the way this is falling into its own little sort of natural organic structure to pursue our own projects and to work on what we need to work on. And one of the biggest bene- benefits for me being a medievalist is talking to and meeting and working with people who are not medievalists. Mm-hmm. And the exchange between us brings some of my perspective into their work or how they think, but it also brings what they, br- what they perceive and how they think and their approaches into my work, which is utterly fantastic. Mm-hmm. So that has been great. And... Uh, we're working with Jackie, who is, like, an amazing <laughs> person and supports us and works as our liaison for many different organizations. So walk us through this a little bit. You <coughs> say, well, I'm
0: a medievalist. I couldn't possibly do that. Your reaction was was like that because you're thinking uh, this has to be all about contemporary problems So this has yeah. to be about
3: things that... Right, yeah. and I'm thinking this has to be about Iowa. Well, yeah. you know, I mean, where do I tap into that medieval... Mm-hmm. aspect in Iowa and even even public history, America, um, American culture, I do European culture. Um, so all of these things were like putting themselves up as obstacles in my imagination until I started you know peeling them away little by little and started seeing these these inroads mm-hmm. and these ways that I could approach this mm-hmm. that work for History core and work for us. Yeah, can you tell us what some of those inroads were? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, I think the public history aspect is one of the ways that I approach this in the sense that uh, I've been spending time working in special collections with the medieval manuscripts. And uh, my first thought is that, okay, these are amazing resources we have at the University of Iowa. Phenomenal for the middle of the Midwest. And uh, I'm like, nobody knows about them. Nobody knows what they are, what they're saying, uh, what's happening here, and so I thought this would be a great opportunity to bring some of those into the public purview. Yeah. and um, so I was thinking along those lines, and then recently I attended the uh, Graduate Elberman Graduate Institute, and I was able to see another way that I could engage my work and, and what I do and what I'm passionate about with the public in the sense that I can get high school students as well involved in working with these medieval manuscripts. Mm-hmm. And so that brings in that aspect of Iowa because I've got a project where I'm working mm-hmm. with three area high schools and uh, we're gonna be, they're going to be making artistic, creative, linguistic, innovative responses to this manuscript that we are also, on the academic side, Uh, publishing online through the studio. Wow, that's fantastic. Well, and I know that Special Collections uh, has
0: this rare and wonderful material that it it doesn't just sort of sit out on the the shelf all the time with anybody able to just grab it because these are precious and one-of-a-kind things. So the fact that you're able to take students, I suspect, into that space, Mm -hmm. you don't take the materials out. Mm -hmm. And so to get students into that space and Mm -hmm. see the materials you're specifically showing them, but to also have them sort of see the range of, of stuff that's in special collections here at this library is yes. tremendous. And yeah. work
3: with History Core in the digital aspect in the sense of we've got a website, we've got a an online platform that's already available for us to design mm-hmm. our projects and to load them onto our site. Yeah. That
0: sounds great. So let's explore these some of these media tools you use, Jackie, or the the members of the uh, of the group use uh, many of us in this room might have heard StoryCorps, mm-hmm. which is an um, you know a, an audio project that's that's uh, kept in the Library of Congress and played on National Public Radio. People telling stories about their lives, significant moments in their lives. Is there um, is there anybody working with HistoryCorps who is doing that sort of thing, just um, documenting uh, a particular individual or? Um, Uh, a a group's life in a community here in Iowa? Is any of that being done?
4: Well, yes. Um, uh, I would say that um, there's so much to say about History Corps. Uh, (laughs) Because uh, we we have been in existence in its current formation for about four years. And, um, you know, my style is sort of let things happen as they will, um, I was also in a very exploratory sort of frame of mind. Um, I was one of the sort of mid-career faculty who was—I—I I was not excited anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually give a lot of credit to the Overman Center, and particularly to Teresa Mangum. Um, I'm not quite sure why it was that we started talking to each other, but. Um, she just kind of, I always say, she sort of sprinkled a little water on me and I started to <laughs> perk up again. And um, so it's been a very organic kind of process. Um, you know, we have, our, our our intentions are that we have to hold the collective together. And so we do that by working on a group project, which right now is um, an amazing project, very ambitious project called... Um, Iowa Native Spaces, a digital uh, mapping project working with the Meskwaki uh, and Iowa tribes. But simultaneously, I want students to also have the opportunity to, um, you know, uh, activate their own imaginations, activate their own possibilities around their particular research interests. So for example, uh, along the lines that you mentioned, we have one student student who's um, Uh, doing a project called Africans in Iowa Hmm. and uh, she is uh, and it's just blossomed every little thing that we do blossoms and so she uh, herself is um, from Togo and she um, has uh, studied at US uh, universities and now is with us as a PhD student and she's really brilliant, as are all of the students in History Corps. And she's doing um, these interviews with people who, for one reason or another, have ended up in Iowa. <laughs> and she's just at the front end of it. So she's learning about how to do oral history. She's learning how to do, um, she's acquiring technical skills, working with you know, recording equipment, um, uploading all these audio files. Uh, there are like three kinds, what do I know? Um, and I'm just the advisor. <laughs> and uh, and then turning it into an exhibit of its own on History Core, right? So there's that. Um, people telling their own stories, the tribal, the group project. Um, it's been two years in the making. We just really got launched last uh, fall. And throughout the fall, we're developing methodologies. Um, so it involves many partners. Um, we've, uh, we're, we're focusing on the Meskwaki, who are down the road in Tama, IOA, who are, this was their territory at least uh, a time, and they're across the line in Kansas. Um, but we're also partners with this great scholar, public scholar at UNI, um, the Office of the State Archaeologists, uh, great people, the Oberman Center, the studio. Um, and I'm sure I'm leaving somebody out, but I can't think of who it is. Um, anyway, we got all these great partners. We had a great meeting. We brought the Harvard World Map guy to town to sort of fly our ideas by him, and he, he gave us his blessing, and so that gave us a lot of courage. And, and then we just got, um, amazingly, uh, too much to our shock, we got um, a major um, project grant, internal oh, good. Good. funding, and so we feel very validated by that. So, what's this project about? Well, you know, um, the indigenous presence has been erased from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, books have been written about it. Um, it's very obvious to those of us who are attuned to indigeneity to see this erasure. Um, but indigenous people are still here. Um, and so, what we wanted to do was to um, somehow Uh, bring that into the public we wanted to do our own recovery project but not as scholars you know we can do that work Um, but we wanted to work with in partnership with these very um, dynamic and productive tribes who have amazing tribal scholars in their midst and who have very vibrant cultural programs um, like the food sovereignty project at Meskwaki and the museum over at White Cloud Kansas. And they have great tribal historians and um, uh, tribal historic preservation officers. And they have long experience. They're not novices. Long experience uh, collaborating with other people. And so um, we took our little idea to them and said, would you want to work with us? And amazingly, we were (laughs) really surprised. They said, "Okay," (laughs) Um, And so uh, we're having our first meeting in March to show them a demo. Mm-hmm. Um, based on um, uh, work that the students have done, um, labor they put into um, uh, acquiring data and using a certain kind of methodological approach, to that will end up being um, this demo, and then we'll present it and say, "Are we on, in the ballpark?" Yeah. And then um, the other piece of this is that uh, with the money that we received from the in, uh, internal funding source. Um, this summer we're going to go and do field work. Mm -hmm. And that's what part of the March meeting is about, is to design the field work for the summer. And the field work is about us all being someplace um, that is meaningful to these people. So in my mind's eye, it could be just for example's Mm -hmm. sake, um, in the areas where the Meskwaki do maple syrup production. Mm -hmm. This is very integral to their ideas and to uh, many of their practices. Um, I didn't know maple syrup could be spiritual, but I've been <laughs> convinced. <laughs> Not that I need to be convinced, but I mean, I get it. Um, and so I imagine us uh, and with community members, tribal people um, in this area. Um, and in the, in the way that Keith Basso talks about it in his book, um, Memory Sits in Places, Listening and trying to hear carefully, listening and trying to hear for um, the idea uh, about where this comes from, where what this says about how the muskwaki perceive the world. Mm-hmm. And um, so what I want to say about that is that it's not I, we, we're trying to break from Uh, A long-standing method Uh, when scholars go to do American Indian work they're kind of like salvaging Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. there's still this idea that we must be salvaged that our culture must be salvaged that our material culture must be salvaged it's an old anthropology project from the 19th century I don't think we fully let go of it but I'm interested in what my old colleague former colleague who is now gone Nick Brown said in a very key meeting with the Meskwaki people, this project should also be about knowledge production. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, to me, was a hair-raising moment. I said, ah, oh, that is so smart. That's exactly what we should be doing. And so that's what this summer fieldwork is really about, is to try to create that knowledge production um, moment mm-hmm. and um, to then um, work it into our digital map. Yeah. That was a long-winded one. Wow, answer. no, no, it
0: was <laughs> very, very interesting. And so the digital map, will, the different points in the map will represent places where these individuals currently live or um, uh, well, important you know, places in their mapping, history? Well,
4: you know, mapping, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, what do I know? I'm just a faculty advisor. <laughs> but, I mean, I've looked at a lot of them. And so what I can say about it is that it's quite, we are looking for something that is very, um, uh, has a lot of depth. It's conveying Mm -hmm. stories through time. Mm -hmm. It's showing movement because of course all of these tribes, like many tribes everywhere, you know, it wasn't just the Southeastern people who were removed. Um, Mm -hmm. Tribes everywhere have been removed and removed Mm -hmm. multiple multiple times. And so we want to convey that movement, but also to show the return. Um, and so, but the other part about, you know, if you look at my co- colleague, uh, Colin Gordon's map on St. Louis, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a world map, uh, project, but what you can see is that there's also, um, a place in the map for other kinds of information. It will, it will accommodate sort of an archive of itself, mm-hmm. but one of our students is doing brilliant work with a Meskwaki high school teacher who was a University of Iowa alum, mm-hmm. Who over the course of the last six years has developed her own um, education? I mean, what do they call them in high school? Um, lesson plan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, lesson plan. And she has this amazing, brilliant, spellbinding lesson plan on removal oh, really? wow. that she shared with us in one of these meetings that left all of everybody speechless. And and so she is working with one of our graduate students on developing that lesson plan for the site. Another thing that um, this graduate student has worked to develop with her is activities for high school students in, in uh, Leah's classes to do um, memory mapping that will then fold into the field work this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, there's it's not just about salvage. It's about the living. It's about, it's not just preservation. It's about you know, just living and being Meskwaki, living and being Iowa. Mm-hmm. That, is, um, that has been ongoing in spite of the erasure.
0: Yeah, wow. Well, So uh, so as we bring this back to you then, Heather, when you came here to do your graduate work as a medievalist, you didn't expect that you would be doing um, mm. present-day work with Meskwaki and Iowa Indians. Right, right, right. So Native <laughs> Americans. So when you do that now, does this um, I suspect you learn a lot of things you you learn something about these digital tools you're using, and you pick up more about research methods that sh- that might mm-hmm. be different or new to you. but um, what do you think it adds to your overall scholarship as a medievalist? is
3: a good question. Um, I think what it adds is It adds a kind of breadth to myself. I I can see myself more as a historian. I can see where some of the methods or the approaches that I use as a medievalist can be carried over into the work that we're doing with the Iowa Native Project. Um, And I can see then those kinds of approaches as well that I can then take back with me. Mm -hmm. So as a graduate student, it's offered me, it's opened my mind. In many ways and uh, it's just been incredibly invaluable for me to bring myself back into the present (laughs) I'm sorry but that's sometimes a problem for the medievalist and to say this is happening now Mm -hmm. this is how we're dealing with this and it gives it it, it validates who I am as a historian So, Jackie,
0: um, how many times have you been involved with the Graduate Institute? Have you been one of the faculty members in the Graduate Institute of the uh, Oberman Center? No, I just have therapy sessions, a... oh. therapy sessions, private therapy sessions <laughs> with Teresa Mangum. Uh, um, I, am, I, uh, I have been
4: on the uh, board with, I mean, uh, their, their review uh, committee, and
0: uh-huh.
4: I've done evaluation of their projects and things like yeah, that. I've yeah, talked to yeah. them. I, I've been mm-hmm, around them, mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm, and my mm-hmm. students... Uh, have been, um, you know, the mm-hmm. grateful recipients.
3: Mm-hmm. Sure. And, and, and in you've also sat on, you sat on the panel this year as well, which was really valuable mm-hmm. when they were talking about their experiences oh, for yeah. the rest of us in the group mm-hmm. to hear very honest uh, accounts sure. of sure. their own life experiences. Mm-hmm. And Teresa was earlier
0: mentioning how the graduate students develop relationships with people from very different fields sometimes. Did that happen with you, um, working relationships? Or
3: uh, the working relationships somewhat um, I was uh, I met someone who I had heard about before I even went to the Graduate Institute who's a graduate student in religion and she and I were able to connect on many levels in terms of museum work and exhibits and what they might look like and um, We talked a lot about that. I don't know that there will be anything that will come Mm -hmm. out of that. Mm -hmm. But like Jennifer and Teresa were talking about, it was an amazing group. And to be able to sit in a room and and, and find commonalities between people who are from completely other disciplines Mm -hmm. um, was amazing. Mm -hmm. And there are a couple of people that I will, two or three or four people actually, who I will still be in contact with. Mm -hmm.
0: Well, I'm afraid our, our time has come to an end here, but boy, I can't thank you enough. Heather Walker and uh, and Jackie Rand, thank you thank for being you, with gentlemen us gentlemen and gentlemen. really appreciate it. And I hope that all of you will stay with us for the third part of this program when we're going to consider the headaches, heartbreak, and the joys of public engagement. This is World Canvas, and uh, you can find these programs on iTunes, UITV, and the International Program's website, which is international.uiowa.edu. And you can learn more about film scene at IC FilmScene.org. I'm Joan Kerr. Thanks for being with us, and we'll see you next time. Hello, and welcome to World Canvas from International Programs at the University of Iowa. I'm Joan Kerr, and we're coming to you from Film Scene in downtown Iowa City. Happy to have you with us for part three in this series. My guests in this uh, program are Kate Kedley, graduate student in the College of Education at the University of Iowa, uh, Hector Efren Flores, a a Honduran activist, poet, writer, and lawyer, and Craig Just, an assistant professor in the College of Engineering here at the University of Iowa. Thank you all for being here. Muchas gracias. Muchas gracias. gracias Uh So... Kate, you were a member of the Graduate Institute Correct. and uh, you have a lot to share, I know, regarding the work you've been doing uh, in Honduras and Hector is here as your colleague, your community partner and I, I'd like to hear a little bit about what your project is. Sure. Mm-hmm.
5: Um, so I am writing my dissertation about education in Honduras and while I was there um, I went to an organization where I met Hector and uh, we, I, I went into my dissertation knowing that I wanted to be engaged with the public there and I didn't think it was right to go to another country. A lot of North Americans go to Honduras or Central American countries and they'll do a small project or they'll do their research and then they leave. And so it was important to me to be working with the community in in a project long term. Um, When I met Hector, we um, realized we had a lot of the same philosophies in terms of literacy education, in terms of writing, in terms of poetry and and different art in the community. And so our project is, um, he works with a group of youth that works to reclaim public space from the violence, from organized crime and things Mm -hmm. like that. on Saturday nights, they, they go to the park and they plug in the speakers and they read poetry and they, they're <laughs> trying to, um, you know, use that space to, to show people that, that culture can be used as in, in those spaces. And so um, we've talked a little bit with uh, Iowa Youth Writers Project here in Iowa City, and we're hoping to start something where groups of youth from both spaces can use Skype or online blogs. Um, we haven't decided completely yet, mm-hmm. but, um, and maybe publish some things, translate each other's work, mm-hmm. et cetera. So, mm-hmm.
0: Well, before we go further into that project, tell me, what, what is your specific area of research within College of Education and your graduate sure. studies?
5: Um, I'm in Language, Literacy, and Culture program, yeah. and so um, I'm studying teaching and uh, literacy, English education specifically in Honduras. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out it's a little controversial. Usually a lot of times we think that you know we're going to teach English mm-hmm. somewhere, um, and I met with many Honduran teachers who were against that um, or complicated it a little bit more than, than mm-hmm. I think we often mm-hmm. think of it. So that's what my research yeah.
0: is. Yeah, yeah. So how did you and Hector meet?
5: Um, I He works for a, a Jesuit organization that um, does social promotion and popular education. And mm-hmm. so I went there looking for information, and uh, right away he started you know, sending me messages and saying, you should come to this meeting, you should come to this conference, you should come Saturday night when we're reclaiming the public space in the park. And so I started going to those things, and, and that's how we met, and like I said, it was important to me um, to be responsive to the community yeah. when, they, when they asked me to do things because I was using their knowledge to write my dissertation, and so I wanted to make sure that that um, relationship had a two-way street.
0: Yeah, yeah. So please tell us about this project of reclaiming a space that has become dangerous, mm-hmm. sometimes uh, not a good place to be. How, how
5: did that happen and what's it like now on a Saturday night? Mm-hmm. Yo to ask? Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> ¿Usted puede hablar un poquito sobre uh, reclamando la, el espacio público y cómo empieza este proyecto y, y todo?
6: Bueno, eh, el espacio es una idea de un colectivo de artistas de diferentes modalidades que hemos descubierto que a partir de la posibilidad de compartir nuestros talentos y nuestros dones podemos cambiar la cultura de violencia en nuestra sociedad por una cultura de convivencia.
5: And so um, we decided, uh, an artist collective of mine um, that I'm involved with, with many different types of artists, writers, poets, etc., um, decided that we could reclaim this space with um, cultural and different types of art mm-hmm. instead of the, the violence.
6: Mm-hmm. Y y nace como eso, ¿no? Como una idea que haga posible que los espacios que hoy eh, el crimen organizado y las bandas juveniles organizadas tienen como suyos para hacer actos delictivos. Eh, se conviertan en espacios en los que pueda haber cultura, pueda haber cualquier mar- manifestación artística.
5: And so we decided um, that there were some spaces that were being used by organized crime and, and youth gang type um, activities, and we decided to reuse that space for cultural, to show the people that um, the space could also be connected closely with culture rather than, mm. than that type of activity.
6: El, el punto es que nosotros queremos donde hay una bala poner un poema, donde hay un rifle poner un libro, donde hay llanto poner una canción.
5: And so um, the, the point was where, in place of bullets, we're going to put um, mm-hmm. books, in place of, in base de
6: qué? In base donde hay un... Where there's a rifle,
5: we're going to put a song, mm-hmm. and where there's violence, we're going to put um, art mm-hmm. and culture. Yeah. Was
0: it difficult to reclaim this space? Was there pushback from the the, the criminal element that might like to just sort of... It for themselves. Right. Fue right.
5: difícil hacer este re, recupiando el espacio público y fue dificultades con la crimen organizado.
6: Effectivamente, la primera la primera decisión es difícil. No es fácil entrar en los espacios que el crimen organizado controla y más si uno um, no cuenta ni con el respaldo del estado ni con el respaldo de la sociedad que está ahí.
5: Yeah, so it was difficult to, to take over those spaces, especially when you don't have the the backing of the government or the the support of of local authorities.
6: Mm-hmm. Pero ese es un riesgo que los artistas que pensamos que tenemos compromiso con la sociedad tenemos que asumir si realmente pensamos en cambios.
5: So, it, but it is a promise that um, we as artists have to make if we really believe that culture is the way to change a society.
6: Después ha sido más fácil porque de alguna manera el, la gente que, ha, que está involucrada con el crimen organizado entiende que nuestro punto no es enfrentarnos con ellos sino devolverle el derecho a participar a la sociedad en general.
5: Um, And in the end, and over time, um, it hasn't become, it hasn't been such a problem The organized crime has realized that we're not there to confront them specifically. Mm -hmm. It's more of a way um, that we're allowing culture to Mm -hmm. exist in our society. Mm
0: -hmm. And how difficult was it to get community members, mothers, fathers, Mm -hmm. who may have uh, not only stayed away from this place themselves, but told their kids, don't go there, it's a bad place to be. How hard was it to reintroduce those people to this space during a safe cultural um, mm-hmm. experiment.
5: fue difícil uh, uh, introducir por los madres de familia, padres y familia, o tal vez ellos no quieren dejar los niños ir al parque. Um, fue difícil uh, convencerles uh, a llegar a sus, sus
6: eventos. O? Uh, nuestras primeras presentaciones eran para nosotros mismos. Estábamos solos. So
5: for the first presentations, it was essentially just us. We were the ones <laughs> that were presenting to ourselves. <laughs> um,
6: <Yeah. laughs> con el paso del tiempo, eh, la gente... Fue acercándose un poco más, empezaron a llegar niños, empezaron a llegar jóvenes, empezaron a llegar algunas madres con sus hijos.
5: Um, and after time, um, people started to come, mothers started to bring their children, and there were young people in the crowd mm-hmm.
6: as well. Y entonces nosotros nos dimos cuenta que el problema es que nosotros nos estábamos presentando como los artistas, y las comunidades no quieren artistas, quieren ser ellos los protagonistas.
5: Uh-huh. And so we started to realize that um, we didn't just want to be artists for them, we wanted them to be part of yeah. the community and presentations themselves.
6: Entonces yo que soy un poeta, empecé a enseñarle a los jóvenes cómo escribir poesía a los mismos jóvenes que estaban en los barrios y cuando las madres vieron que eran sus hijos los que leían poesía y que escribían poesía, entonces quisieron seguir ahí.
5: And so, um, I as a poet, started to teach the youth who would show up all to you know, workshops and poetry and things like that in, in, in their home neighborhoods. And so the moms would bring their children and come watch their children read poetry in these spaces.
6: Y lo mismo están haciendo ahora los pintores, lo mismo están haciendo ahora los músicos. Y lo que hace esto interesante es que ahora la recuperación de los espacios públicos en estos barrios lo hace la gente de los barrios, no nosotros los artistas que llegamos de afuera.
5: And so the painters and the other types of artists are also starting to do these different types of workshops. And what is interesting about this is the space that is being reclaimed is being reclaimed by the people themselves, not just the original artists. Wow.
0: Fantastic! Yeah, congratulations.
6: Felicidades.
5: Muchas
0: gracias. Wow! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Terrific. Wow. Well, we'll move for a second to uh, Craig Just here. I'd like to hear about your work. Uh, I know that you've long been involved with the Graduate Institute, and mm-hmm. your your always doing interesting things, both in the College of Engineering and and sort of outside of that very specific sphere. Um, Were you going to talk a little bit about your project in Ghana, working with communities there?
7: Uh, I could talk about that. Um, Mm -hmm. Actually, in an earlier segment, it was mentioned uh, the Center for Teaching and how they trained some faculty how to be Mm -hmm. service-learning, kind of educated, and and how to do that sort of pedagogy. And as part of that, I ended up uh, founding a new course on campus with a service-learning mentality. In Mexico, oh, yeah. and so you know my my artistry is water. <laughs> um, please, please Trans- let him know.
5: <laughs> yeah, so in
7: Hicotepec we had uh, let's see in espanol a la feria de agua potable. Oh, uh, yes. so we had a potable water fair in town, and so we'd have people who who lacked access in rural areas of Mexico, but also um, in in the cities too who had lack lacked access to basic drinking water. Uh, we would have a, a, a water fair and, you know, in a, in a not very dangerous space, actually a very beautiful town square, almost Disney-like, trimmed hedges and, oh. and, uh, and street clowns uh, doing uh, interesting things in Spanish. And, um, and so, you know, part of that is to uh, take a group of students down and to experience that culture in the midst of uh, trying to do our craft, which mm-hmm. is to get people access mm-hmm. to uh, drinking water and other things. Um, THAT'S EXTENDED uh, SINCE THEN. THAT COURSE STILL REMAINS. Mm-hmm. Um, SO I WAS ONE OF THE FOUNDERS OF THAT COURSE IN 2007, AND IT'S STILL ON THE BOOKS TODAY. Um, I'VE uh, STARTED GOING TO Ghana IN 2008, uh, HOPING THAT, um, YOU KNOW, THAT uh, MORE... Uh, MY ENGLISH WOULD GET ME FURTHER THERE uh, THAN IT DOES IN MEXICO. <laughs> COME TO FIND THAT, once YOU GET INTO THE RURAL AREAS OF Ghana, uh, A LOT OF NATIVE LANGUAGES, IN OUR CASE, CHUI uh, AND Fanta. Again, languages I cannot speak. Um, but it was it's very fun to, um, in a town hall meeting in, in the small village in Ghana where we work in Kobriti, uh to actually be able to speak to the community elder there. We had to go from English to tree, tree to fanta, fanta back to tree, and tree back to English. And so um, those are nice long meetings underneath the shade tree uh, uh, with lots of things going on. But yeah, for me it's been water and sanitation uh, with my engineering skills and, uh, and that sort of a background trying to Leverage uh, you know, existing community expertise in ways that might provide them uh, you know, a nice health outcome.
0: Yeah. And so this is very much a partnership, right? It's not just you diving yeah. into a community from, yeah. with willing and eager people from the University of Iowa to sort of fix everything for you. It's not that,
7: right? It's, it's not that. And, and like Kate mentioned too, we also uh, brought one of our community partners from Ghana uh, here to the United States, mm-hmm. first time he'd ever been outside of Ghana, let alone mm-hmm. leaving. Uh, his native continent, to come here. And uh, yeah, that reciprocity piece, trying to exchange, do a cultural exchange on, you know, on the highest levels um, while we're also trying to empower people to do uh, really good mm-hmm. things. And so yeah, it truly is a partnership. Um, we, uh, I had many visits, uh, probably five visits to Cabrini before we ever did a project at all oh. um, because I'm a firm believer that engineers can do silly things really fast at large scales if you're not informed. And mm-hmm. so we had to spend enough time in the community to do smart things. And uh, I've seen many too, uh, too many examples where engineers show up and in, uh, in faraway places, communities they don't know much about. And it happens even in rural Iowa as well, mm-hmm. if you don't do your homework. Mm-hmm. Um, that you, you, you think you're solving the problem. It turns out you're engineering something for the wrong problem altogether. Yeah. And uh, you've got to spend enough time with the community uh, to know uh, not to do that. Mm-hmm.
0: How was Ghana um, the, the location you chose? I mean, how did it happen that Ghana was the place um,
7: you went to? Well, so I gave a talk, um, actually, on drinking water. At the time, we had made a small handheld device that turned uh, salt water into bleach. Mm-hmm. Um, just using electricity, cost less than 10 bucks, and so then people could have access to a way to disinfect their drinking water, but also to disinfect surfaces and things like that mm-hmm. that might cause disease, much like we clean our homes, you know, with bleach and things like that. Um, And I was given a talk in Chicago and uh, someone from Waverly, Iowa, who has been, um, it's Self-Help International, it's an NGO that's been working in Ghana, Nicaragua for, um, oh, about 25 years. And uh, they are um, Norman Borlaug, you know, World Food Prize, uh, high protein, you know, maize and different things like that for feeding programs. They heard I did water. We we're from Iowa. They called me up and said, "Hey, you know, we feed in our villages, but they—they um, they need a whole system overhaul um, with respect to uh, basic things: food, water, shelter, energy." And so I was the water guy, and so I joined their team, and uh, and we've done some nice projects uh, since in partnership with them. But yeah, I would never show up in a place like Ghana, uh, without or Mexico or wherever, um, without essentially. Um, You know some some people who had really invested a long time in these Mm -hmm. partnerships so then um, if you're going to do a project you've got to you've got to make sure you've got that community buy-in and and know uh, know how before you do it
0: and a real commitment over time for sure yeah Yeah. so we titled this segment I think headaches (laughs) heartbreak and joys of uh, community engagement or public engagement Um, can you tell me have has there been any heartache related to this project (laughs) you've been working on
5: um, you know, we're kind of just getting it off the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, we started mm-hmm. talking about it last year. I think it's, um, you know, it's difficult for me personally to, to I, I get a lot of attention, you know, for yeah, this here sure. in Iowa. I'm here on this radio show, sure, sure. Um, things like that. So making sure that my visibility and my access to, to, to you know, the, the rep- reciprocity is, mm-hmm. is the important thing. So that's one of the reasons that I, mm-hmm. it was important for Hector to come here. Um, we've done mm-hmm. 15 speaking engagements. Over the last couple of weeks, he's talked to over 500 people. Um, and we have these these pending projects, so I think that it's not necessarily a heartbreak, but it is something that is constantly at the forefront mm-hmm. of my mind mm-hmm. to make sure that the benefit isn't just mine, the visibility isn't just mine, and I'm mm-hmm. not taking up the space without mm-hmm. um, the input mm-hmm. of my community community partner, and also mm-hmm. increased invisibility or visibility for him.
0: Sure, and I'll just ask uh, Hector, what what has been the most um, uh, has there been anything that keeps him up at night that just isn't working quite right that, or that is, there's some kind of disappointment related to what he hopes might happen mm-hmm. with his project or other similar projects he con, works on?
5: Con su, sus proyectos y, y todo lo que está haciendo, um, tal vez hay algo que usted no puede dormir bien porque está preocupado por eso o hay algo que es difícil que usted puede hablar mm-hmm. un, un ratito?
6: Yo, yo creo que lo único que a mí no me deja dormir tranquilo Es saber que en mi país están pasando cosas que yo no estoy acompañando en este momento. Mi responsabilidad no está aquí, mi responsabilidad está en mi país. Sí, sí. sí.
5: I think the only thing that maybe has kept me up a little bit at night is knowing that um, I'm not in my country right now uh, doing the work that I mm-hmm. need to be doing. And so um, he is here doing this, but he's not back mm-hmm. in his country working with them.
6: Yeah, estoy, estoy, en este momento, diría yo, um, abriendo la posibilidad para que esta esta expresión De la cultura como un espacio para reivindicar sea posible pero eso no significa que tengo que descuidar lo que es realmente elemental que es seguir apostando por la, paz y la tranquilidad de mi país
5: and so I'm glad I'm here to be opening doors for the yeah. culture and making these connections in Iowa but I also need to make sure that I'm mm-hmm. working and doing the work I need to in my country yeah absolutely right, mm-hmm. right.
0: And and what are some of the um, difficulties about uh, having a project like the one you've described here, where you and students and perhaps other faculty um, are engaged in a project very far away?
7: Um, Well, things break. Um, (laughs) And, you know, as much as, um, you know, so uh, the kind of the, I don't know what you want to call it, the Cadillac project, the the culmination uh, project that we've done, the biggest one we've done in Cabrera, Ghana, is we drilled a, ground, you know, a well, uh, drilled a 150-foot deep well, and put a solar-powered well pump mm-hmm. uh, there. And, but that has components. That mm-hmm. has things that can break in it. We sourced everything locally. Everything was purchased in-country. And a key component of that system is broken right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, yeah, things break. That's fine. Um, but the time scale to, to fixing things, mm-hmm. um, it, it takes a long time to do a project in the first place. Um, but then, when something breaks down, it takes a long time mm-hmm. to fix as well. So that's one thing that keeps me up at night is knowing that all that investment went in. At least currently, mm-hmm. um, we're working on getting it fixed, mm-hmm. but it's not working. And um, you know, it's one of the lessons I have for my students in my classes too. You know, you need to use uh, uh, appropriate technologies that communities uh, can can fix themselves. Right. And, uh, and I said all along, I said, this, this is right at the edge. This is right at the edge of what a community could do. And I would argue even a you know, small town Iowa, many mm-hmm. places wouldn't be able to fix their own solar powered yeah. drinking water well, at least not some individual residents. And so mm-hmm. you knowing no we're right at that threshold and trying to build capacity, trying to get some, some things that we appreciate with flowing water without having to use in a hand mm-hmm. pump. Um, but yet recognizing, yeah, you know, baby steps along the way and, and, some, and some pitfalls for sure.
0: Sure. And do you have requests from other nearby communities who've seen what's been done? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So tell us about that. (laughs) Yeah.
7: Well, and so, yeah, we would show up. Well, the first thing we did is I had students spend five weeks in Cobriti before we ever did anything. So our first trip there was five weeks long, um, Mm -hmm. which, you know, by by some some projects, I'm sure you spend a long time in Honduras, but that's a long time, uh, you know, for us to hang out. And we got to see... First of all, that there are actually some industrial uses. Um, a, there was like a chicken farm nearby, and big trucks would show up and actually use the water resources in this town that we thought was just supporting this small community of 400 people. Yeah. Um, and so, but yes, when we showed up, you bet. Um, essentially, the, the, the village elders from nearby came and asked, "Yeah, you know, when, when can when can you come over?" <laughs> um, and we actually toured these, you know, these uh, nearby places as well. But that happens in Iowa. I've showed up in rural Iowa saying, I'm gonna talk about your wastewater problems. And um, boy, you get 100 people show up and mayors from four towns. And so that, that's kind of a universal thing when um, you know, either some expertise or someone willing to partner, someone willing to even listen, I think mm-hmm. as was mentioned in an earlier segment. Um, when, when that shows up, um, you know, people do want to come and take advantage of that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you know, people wanna be heard as well. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and this is a slight diversion, but with someone in your field, when you hear about Flint, Michigan, or what I hear is happening in Jackson, Mississippi now, and we know that so much infrastructure in the States is old and in need of repair, uh, what goes off in your mind?
7: Yeah, so I'm proud and sad about Flint, Michigan. proud that uh, Mark Edwards, uh, a good friend of mine from Virginia Tech, is the professor that, you know, Mark Edwards, he's the guy that showed, he's a MacArthur genius Mm -hmm. um, as well, uh, awardee, um, and... uh, He's an environmental engineering professor, uh-huh. and so am I.
5: <laughs> and, right,
7: and so and so the fact that, that the the best of our crew will will show up in that situation against uh, political forces, financial forces. Um, his group went about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in debt to um, get the data they needed to prove that Flint was not being well cared for, um, and then and then sad that. I'm I'm teaching drinking water treatment right now in class and talking about Flint and and that, you know, in the midst of doing this every year with 50 or 60 students that go on to graduate, that educated folks that I know become professionals in places uh, in and around Flint, Michigan, Mm -hmm. and you name whatever other town that might be, that for whatever reason the systems of checks and balances and or the financing required to to put that safety factor in Mm -hmm. uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen, that as a society, we're choosing not to uh, make those choices. Yeah. Um, so we're ready uh, to help protect people, but yet for some reason, um, we kind of continue to forget those lessons of the past and mm-hmm. we make bad choices mm-hmm. as a society, and I'd, I'd like us to stop doing that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and on Super Tuesday here, it would be very interesting <laughs> to, to see what we're doing. Interesting, yeah,
0: no kidding, no kidding. Um, so have any of your students gone on... on um, Uh, a number of years? uh, Have they been involved in the project more than one one year at a time? Some of them have gone back multiple times. Oh, for
7: sure. Uh, And uh, and I I would say one of the things that we're adapting to now is I used to try to fit this into sort of the three semester hour training class to prepare you to go for some trip, but these trips come and go, um, the partnerships, you know, uh, the people I work with in Ghana and other places are not on a semester schedule, mm-hmm. um, and so we've really divested, and now I've got a series of one credit hour. Uh, each semester, there's always one credit hour class on the books, and you can string them together as you either design and don't travel at all, or if you travel and go away, you can get one, two, or three credits for some of those experiences, really trying to tailor it to the realities of trying to partner in an international mm-hmm. setting. It um, mm-hmm. goes beyond our kind of semester schedule mm-hmm. that we like mm-hmm. so much.
0: Wow, terrific. Ooh. Well, thank you. And for the two of you, what, what comes next? Uh, you mentioned that you're working with the Iowa Youth Writing Program mm-hmm. and hoping to share experiences between Iowa youth and youth in Honduras.
5: Yeah, so we're um, trying to think. Of, I think we have something scheduled uh, this month, actually, where um, it's just going to be a small step so we can feel some success, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Where. um we'll do like a skype reading of mm. of of something that the students in Honduras have already published and something mm. that the Iowa Youth Writers Project have already done. Mm-hmm. saber qué es por nosotros.
6: <laughs> bueno, yo creo que el primer desafío que nosotros nos estamos planteando es demostrar que eh, las fronteras no existen para la cultura y mm-hmm. más cuando la cultura se está utilizando para construir sociedades de paz.
5: And so the first um challenge that we have is to show that borders don't exist when we're sharing mm-hmm. culture and that we can move culture across these borders freely.
6: Estaremos haciendo un par de cosas que nos ayuden a entender mejor la situación de violencia en mi país y la situación de seguridad que ustedes viven.
5: And so we're going to try and design a couple small projects that can show the instability in his country and the the things
6: that are happening in our country And
5: the thing that is aiding us in this is the technology
6: that we have. Para cada uno. I believe
5: I I hope that in the future that um art and culture will one day be like Air, water, and and earth will be something that a human right that we all have access to. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well. Is- well said. Thank you very thank much. You. And thank you all, Craig Just and Hector Efren Flores, and uh, to you, Kate Kedley. Thank you so, so thank much. What an, what an interesting uh, segment. And I thank all of you for coming to join us this afternoon and everyone listening to this program. Um, please join us here at Film Scene if you find you're in the Iowa City area. You can see these programs live. We'd love to have you in the room with us. Information about upcoming shows as well as links to archived programs can be found at international.uiowa.edu. And you can learn more about Film Scene at i see film scene Um, I invite you to attend the next World Canvas program. Actually, the very next one is in Des Moines. So if you can join us in Des Moines, please do. It will be at the John and Mary Papa John Educational Center on April 9th, uh, also at 5 o'clock. And it's a very interesting program, I think, a good lineup on Nationhood Redefined, talking about all of these state and non-state actors and what's happening in the world these days. So that'll be our next show on April 9th. And the one here in this room next is April 19th. It's... uh, a project that uh, someone from the engineering college has initiated, Greg, uh, on big data. So join us for that. That will be April 19th. So I'm Joan Kerr. Thank you for being here, and good night.